DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He's on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David Locke brought to you every week by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Good. Hey, Let's get you started here with the biggest and newest headline in the NBA and what it may or may not mean for the Jazz and the Western Conference going forward. Uh, Houston's changing GMs. Daryl Morey is out, personal reasons. Uh, They're having a coaching change, too. I'm assuming the Warriors, I don't know if they're coming back at a championship level, but I'm assuming they're going to be at least top four in the West. Maybe they'll come back at a title level. Probably depends who they surround their big three with. But if they're top four in the West, somebody is out. I don't think it's the Lakers or the Clippers. Denver's a young team on the way up. Maybe it's them. Maybe they get hit with uh, Blazer or Warrior-like injuries. But I would think that they should be in pretty good shape. So I'm kind of leaning towards Houston. Obviously, they're the Jazz and other teams who want to move into the top four as well. How much does this shake up the West and, and how dramatically? Well, I think Houston's just got a really big decision that they have to make, which is, you know, are you um, – are you running this thing all the way out? So are you going to run the hardened ship all the way till it's over, um, the way Memphis did with Mike Conley and, and Mark Gasol? Or are you going to pull the plug um, a little bit maybe the way the Clippers did with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin a little earlier than everybody thought that, you know, that was, was not necessarily thought it was all the way over um, and still got some value for, for those two players. Um, not a huge value, but got some. So, you know, maybe they'd be a step earlier than that. Um, you know, there's an interesting game with them. They gave away a lot of picks. They gave away their pick for Robert Covington. They gave away the picks for Russell Westbrook, and there's the pick swaps. So rebuilding is difficult. There's actually an argument. I think if you go back and look at the Oklahoma City picks, I think they're later on, right? So they're like 27, 26 and 27 maybe. So there's actually an argument that they probably need to get bad fast so that by the time those picks come up, they're not um, – they don't need him as much. Um, or the other argument is that they just have to run the whole thing out. I, I'm not sure they have a, a middle ground where they where they go with Harden for another year and then make the move and then they start to rebuild and then they don't have their pick. So they're in a they're in a pickle. Um, and the other thing you have to try to figure out if you're them, Russell Westbrook was just awful in the bubble, but he was just brilliant before the stoppage of play. It was probably the best basketball he'd ever played when they spread the floor and gave him room and he got on top of the cup and he was really, really great. And then when he got COVID and then he didn't come back and there does seem to be a correlation between some of these soft tissue injuries and COVID, at least Michael Pina wrote a nice piece in the GQ and GQ about it. Um, and so is that, you know, do you just have to dismiss that period, that play as, as them, but otherwise, I mean, they were pretty good right before the bubble. So they have an interesting analysis of one, what they think of themselves two what they think they can do in the future. Um, and then three, you know, obviously they're rebuilding their entire coaching staff and their general manager. And I think you better decide, you know, maybe that middle piece before you go hire people. Could some teams be successful without building through the draft? Sure. I mean, the Lakers, um, is there a Laker draft pick of any relevance on that roster that I'm forgetting? Kuzma. Yeah, so they got one. So, yeah, I would say you can be successful. You know, Denver's obviously done as good a job as anyone building through the draft. Um, and then Houston doesn't have a draft pick on their roster that I can think of. So, 
um, yeah, I mean, there's just one of one of two mechanisms of how you're going to do it. I mean, um, you know, Houston did to get James Harden. I'm trying to remember that deal, but it's Stephen Adams, a draft pick, Jeremy Lamb, who they drafted, and some future picks. So you're using your draft picks in that fashion. I, I I've generally always believed that if you're good, you probably are only ideally if you're really good, you're drafting every other year. Um, and you're using your pick to acquire assets on the other year. Now, we're, we were kind of on that path, and then we traded Grayson Allen and our pick for Mike Conley, and so now, you know, we probably, unless a really great offer comes, probably need to take our pick to get a, have a younger player that you can have as a rotation player. On the other end, if Darrell Brantlin, Mia One, Rajon Tucker, Jawan Morgan, or, you know, any of those four become rotation players, um, you've done it even better. You've hit with a second-round pick. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. The coaching carousel is uh, is spinning right now. Doc Rivers is out with the Clippers, but he lands in Philly. And then uh, Tyron Lue now has a five-year deal with the Clippers. But I look at all of this and think uh, it's partly something PK said. Uh, I don't know what the number is, but at least half the league, maybe two-thirds or three-quarters of the league. I mean, not every coach is great, but but a lot of them are pretty good, or they wouldn't have gotten to this point. And I look at Vogel's record, right? He's in Indiana. They lose to LeBron and the Heat three years in a row in six, seven, and six-game series. I think one was second round, the other two are conference finals. Paul George gets hurt. They're a lottery team. Paul George is back for the first year, but maybe not all the way back, and they go out in the first round. They fire Vogel. Now, since then, the Pacers haven't been out of the first round. They've been in it every year, but out in the first round every year. Vogel, meanwhile, gets LeBron, and now he wins the title. I mean, we can go nuts over the coaching, but aren't there 10 or 15 coaches in the league who, if you gave them the best player in the league, could get you a title pretty quick? Yeah, I think there's about five coaches that maybe have more influence on the game um, and their team than, than others. And then I actually think that number's, that next number is bigger. Um, there's the coaching in the league is really fabulous. And, um, those that aren't good get exposed really fast. Right. Um, and then those that are around for a while get better. I don't think Mike Malone was particularly good three years ago. And I think he's really good now. So, you know, you probably need no different than any other job in life. You need some experience and probably no different than any other job. If you're Frank Vogel, at some point, the internal, politics or whatever else that's going on at your job makes you a little less good at it. You get a chance to restart and think about what you, what you did there and, and chew on it. He went to Orlando and wasn't very good. No, or nobody's been good in Orlando. So, you know, you learn from every experience and you get better. So I'd say there's, you know, I think there's something to, you know, when, you know, Tyrone Lou will probably was pretty good in Cleveland. Obviously they won, um, you know, and then every coach gets their strength. You know, labeled on them differently. I'm not sure. You know, Frank Vogel has been labeled a defensive coach. Well, maybe, but he had Roy Hibbert at his peak, and he's had Anthony Davis. So, you know, was he a particularly good defensive coach in Orlando? I'd have to go back and look. That you know, that that. Um, so I think I kind of agree with you. I actually just think the number's bigger. I think the, the coaching in the league is really astronomically good. So you just went through and you listed all the Jazz young guys and said, you know, if one of them or two of them, however many, can become a rotational player, that's good. So as we head into the off season, they tried it last year by bringing in Moutier and Green. They've done it before with Joe Johnson and DL and so forth. In terms of trying to win immediately, 
Are the Jazz going to have a combination of trying to develop and go also with veterans? Because we've seen with the Lakers, the veterans, a guy like Rondo and Danny Green obviously help them win. You need the stars at the top. Do you think that they, they're more inclined to go one way or the other or a combo of both? So, I mean, some of this is math. Um, you know, if Rudy's going to be at 30 and Donovan is going to be moving toward that and Joe is at, what, 14 and Boyan's at 18 – and then we're signing Jordan to something if we re-sign Jordan, and Mike's at 30, um, you know, that's your core six. And then um, I'm forgetting somebody probably, maybe not. Actually, that's probably your core six. And um, oh, Royce O'Neal is at now at 11, right? So there's your core. There's your core. And now it's a lot to, like, to, if you're bringing, you don't usually have eight, nine, ten players on your roster that are all getting paid more than ten million, you know, eight, ten million dollars. That's there aren't a lot of rosters that have that. So you better at this point get some value out of a million dollar player. And that million dollar player is gonna is you know, the first choice is whether Brantley, One, Morgan or Tucker can can give you something. Your next choice is your draft pick who at 23 is actually I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen so far in the draft when I've looked at players. Um, and then, you know, then, then you've touched on the next one, which is the minimum players of Moutier and Green. I, I'm, you know, Danny Green, uh, Jeff Green is what I was saying. Danny Green, I don't think fits that. He, he's made $15 million. So, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't just a kind of the bottom of the heap draft getting that pick there's two things um to answer your question i i am generally not the biggest believer in like the minimum contract like i think you got to try it and um for all the math reasons we just talked about and then i just don't think the success rate's very good on it and there's a re- you know reason usually those players are minimum contract the the other side of it is um this year maybe there's going to be more there i mean there is a real chance that you know players are just not going to get paid that the financial circumstances in the league are significantly worse. And there's a chance that teams are really going to be in, you know, not have the capability to roll out another $15 million of salary in free agency. And so not only will the cap come down, but that, you know, other than a, probably two or three players that stay on their team and Jeremy Grant, uh, there may not be a free agent that gets more than the mid-level exception. And then the mid-level exception may not be given to very many people. And so you might be able to, sign people for two-year, $4 million deals and get fairly decent players in this market. It, it, it could be really dry. I mean, that, this is a, a side note. Unfortunately, the economic downturn, the pandemic issues, in my opinion, just everything favors major market good teams. Um, and I, so I think that's going to make it hard on the Jazz, really, really hard. So that when there's suddenly no money on the table – you know, the Warriors can go get $300 million of financing like they did the other day. Like, I don't know that the Jazz can actually, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're in a pretty good financial situation, but I don't know what they can go do. Um, the Spurs, a lower market team, had to sell part of their franchise. You know, whether they had to or not, they did. They sold part of their franchise the other day to bring in more cash during the beginning of the pandemic. Um, then you talk about, well, if there's really no money on the table and everyone's getting paid the same, um, and the financial burden's worse on the lower market teams, then... Um, then you end up with, you know, well, everyone's going to go to LA or everyone's going to, you know, if it's, if you're off, you both averaging offering $4 million, they're both going to, you know, they're playing for the Lakers, not the Jazz. 
So a big part of uh, improving the team is the best player has to get better. And I know in the past we've talked about, well, Donovan Mitchell shooting 34% from three. Can he get that up a couple points? And so he, he got a shot 36.6% this year. Um, you know, can he add a step back three? And he did. That. What, what is the next thing? What do you think Donovan's working on this offseason? What's he going to be able to do next season that he couldn't do this year? So I feel like Donovan got the – I mean, I think there's just this incredible – thing here. Donovan got the offseason, right? We saw Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, they got the offseason. Tyler Hero was a rookie, got his offseason. They already had their offseason. We've already seen the player jump from year three to year four. That's what the bubble was. Those guys have had an offseason, whether it was just to mentally relax or understand it. And we saw all the things you just talked about. Um, most importantly, we saw him going to the free throw line. Um, so, you know, off the bounce three is the game changer that has how people are dealing with the defense. You know, the drop big defense was the primary defense in the NBA, 29 teams are playing it. And the answer is to hit the off the bounce three. And that's pretty unguardable at that, in that structure of a defense. So now all of a sudden you see the guys learn it. These guys are that good. Well, the next step then is, you know, finding a way to drive and, and still get to the rim and, and go to the free throw line. So I think we've seen it. Now he just has to refine it. But the major jump has actually happened already for Donovan. And it happened, you know, in, in year three to year four, which was inside that, that gap in the bubble. Yeah, that was when we had Kenny Smith on. That was his theory that they've already had that off season. Uh, we've seen, obviously, to me, Donovan. You know, just let me. Can I give you? A, can I go ahead, uh, PK? Can I interrupt? Because I actually just thought this was really interesting. Go ahead. Uh, it's Kevin Kevin Pelton of ESPN just talked about how we actually all have a false calendar in our heads because of when games start and stop. And so what we actually yeah. saw was this just natural progression of that, right. you know, he's five, six months older and it just happened to be that usually we don't see games at that time period. And, and it's not yeah. actually that they had their off season. They're just five or six months older. And this is the natural time where they get better. You know, we see with LeBron when it needs to be done, he handles the ball and everything runs through him. I don't know that the Jazz would commit to having Donovan have the ball at all the time and play the traditional point guard role, even though the traditional is a different definition now than it was then. But do you see him having the ball more, particularly when it's needed the most? Uh, I think Donovan's going to end up increasing his playmaking role a great deal on this roster. Um, So, yes. I mean, I think Donovan... Donovan's going to play with the ball in his hands almost all the time. I think. I think that's. Okay. I think that's the next reasonable step. Um, you know, I think there's a bunch of interesting discussions. Goran Dragic moved off the bench, during, moved to the bench during the during the regular season this year. Um, is that something that Mike Conley, at this stage of his career, is willing to do? And then you're starting Donovan with the ball in his hands, and maybe you're, you know, the way Miami closed with Goran, and then by the time the playoffs comes, Goran was you know, starting again and pretty massive part of the team. But they're at the exact same age, so is that something you do? I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting little kind of ways the team changes in that regard. I was kind of the opinion that they would, uh, and right now it's Joe and it's um, uh, Mike Conley and Joe Ingles. Uh, but, you know, going forward, those guys are in their 30s. I always thought the kind of the ideal thing was, you have, you know, LeBron can handle the ball when it matters, um, but he's also this, uh, 
He's like he's uh, it's like in chess. You know, the queen is the piece that can do everything. And so, because of matchups, sometimes you want him over here. Sometimes you want him over here to just be off the ball and rest. So you get to have him on the floor, but he's not spending all the energy. And so you still need to have multiple ball handlers. But how you deploy him just depends on the situation. You know, fourth quarter and playoffs are different than the grind of having to do it every possession all the way through the regular season. Do you think that's there's going to be that mix going forward, and then Donovan handles the most important stuff? Or you really think it's just Donovan quarter one through four, game one through 82, and every playoff game? So um, two things. One is, you know, we were the only team in the league, or we in Oklahoma City were the only two teams in the league that had a, three players run a 1,000 pick and rolls last year um, with Ingles and Conley. I, I think, you know, Quinn's system has always been egalitarian, always moved the ball, always touched the ball. You know, a lot of the talk around Houston right now is just, you know, do people actually want to deal with watching James Harden just go one-on-one and just at some point team chemistry-wise, that just doesn't work it. in the league. You know, I think you have to be careful of that. So the, I would say I think that's the likelihood. The other one I would say is that, you know, from a very early stage, Quinn thought that Donovan was an Allen Iverson-esque scorer. Um, and so there's probably going to be some freedom of letting Donovan Mitchell just really put it in the basket. Um, and that's what he can do. So it's probably, you know, inside the egalitarian system that we have, um, you also, you know, you've got a really, really special talent. Let him go to work. All right, well, we'll just leave with this number, and then we got to run. But uh, he shot 51% from three in the bubble after shooting 36% in the season. And I think we're all waiting to see how much of that was because it was easier to shoot in the bubble and how much was that jump he was taking uh, with the four months off. And uh, I guess we can debate that another time, David, but that is something tantalizing for Jazz fans to think about. I mean, take a second and look at Donovan's numbers compared to Dame Lillard at the same stage of the career. And you can either do age or they're better better on years because they both kind of played college and Donovan was old. And then take a look at Bradley Beal. That one you probably have to do by age because Bradley Beal came in the league at 19. Um, It's an interesting comparison to try to see where those guys are compared to where Donovan's going. He's David Locke. He's the radio voice of the Jazz. David, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Okay, sounds good, guys. And I'm very disappointed that we didn't do a whole show on whether the Jazz should trade for Russell Westbrook or James Harden. (laughs) Okay, maybe next time. See ya.